The second reading is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians at the very end in the 13th chapter, the 11th verse to the end. Finally, brothers and sisters, goodbye. Put things in order. Respond to my encouragement. Be in harmony with one another and live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Say hello to each other with a holy kiss. All of God's people say hello to you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The sermon today is entitled, Out of Order. Paul identifies the core problem in the church of Corinth that he is writing to here at the end of the letter. Paul often does this at the end of his letters. He kind of gives them like a, a final bullet point summary of, of all the things that he's been telling them. And in this case, he is identifying their their core problem that he's been writing to them about. And what is a pretty aggressive letter that he has written here in 2 Corinthians, the second half of it might be a, a separate letter from the first half. It may be that it was sort of 2 Corinthians and then there was a 3 Corinthians. But I digress. The point is this. It's an aggressive letter and what Paul tells them at the end is put things in order because things are out of order in the church. Here's what out of order feels like. In worship today, we made a slight change. We moved the anthem, but you know what it feels like when the pastor changes your order of worship, right? You know what it feels like when you've been doing the same thing in the same way for a lot of years, and then the new pastor comes in and moves things around, right? It's out of order. You feel that unease, right? That discomfort, that sense of not being quite the way that you want it to be. Paul writes to a church in the city of Corinth. In this city, the people are wealthy. It's a wealthy uh, Roman city and they value strength and power much like the rest of the Romans, the Roman Empire. They value those who are the best looking, the best sounding, with the most money. They have a society that's structured around wealth and opulence, the rich and the powerful few standing on the backs of the peasants and the slaves. The church in Corinth, it seems has begun to structure itself like the society around them. At least that's Paul's critique. In the first letter, Paul writes that the rich have been elevating themselves within the church, above the poor. 
considering themselves better than others, right? In the second letter, Paul writes that they've begun to follow the leadership of these super apostles, that they're setting themselves up like the temples, the other temples in Corinth, to have their own private paid priests who look good and sound good and have special revelations and special powers and status before God so that they've got priests and prophets who look good in the city around them. And Paul writes to them that the order in the church is meant to be different. That the order in the church, the order in God's reign on earth, is different. So Paul brags, not in his special status, not in his special abilities, but in his weaknesses, in his beatings, his imprisonments, the times he ran away. He follows a ruler, you see, Paul does. He follows a Lord whom he sees described in Isaiah 53 as not being particularly special. It says he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering, acquainted with infirmity. Paul follows a leader who taught his disciples as Davis read to us today, right? That if you wish to be the greatest, you must be the servant. If you wish to be first, you must be the slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And he did. He did give his life. He was drug out in the dark of night by a crowd with crimes he didn't commit. He was beaten and spat upon, stripped and humiliated while the people in power washed their hands and looked the other way. And then he was hung on a tree and murdered, left there to hang, to instill fear in the oppressed, to keep law and order. Now you have to ask yourself, was I talking about Jesus? Because that story could describe George Meadows, 1889, lynched in Alabama. Emmett Till, 1955, lynched in Mississippi. Willie Earl, 1947, lynched in Greenville County, South Carolina. I've been listening to a lot of different voices this week. It took Common, the rapper, to help me realize that Jesus was lynched. The only difference is that the Romans didn't have guns. Our society has more the shape of Rome than the Church of Acts because it is out of order disordered. My friend Reverend Radonia Thomas said that her daughter called her in tears one day and said, Mom, it's not fair. I have to work a thousand times harder to get the same things as a white man. That's what life in the United States is like for so many people today.
It's out of order. The poet Langston Hughes expressed this well. There's never been equality for me, nor freedom in this homeland of the free. Say, who are you that mumbles in the dark? Who are you that draws your veil across the stars? I am the poor white, fooled and pushed apart. I am the Negro bearing slavery's scars. I am the red man driven from the land. I am the immigrant clutching the hope I seek. And finding only the same old stupid plan of dog eat dog, of mighty crush the weak. If you hear that last part, but that's the opposite of the order that Jesus called for. But that's the order of our society that produces lynchings all the way until 1981. It's the order of our society and what you have seen this week is the result of societies and communities that feel that disorder, that feel it. It's what drives people into the street with an anger that's so great that it boils into violence and burning and looting because as the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said, a riot is the language of the unheard. It's the same thing that drives police officers who are sworn to serve and protect and who want to do that, who drives them to attack, to gas and spray and shoot and kneel on George Floyd's neck, to shoot Ahmaud Arbery down in the street, to shoot Breonna Taylor in her home. It's the same thing that drove the murders of police officers, Lauren Ahrens, Michael Carroll, Michael Smith, Brent Thompson, Patrick Zampira, in a protest. Now one thing we need to get, we need to get right. It's not just some bad apples. It's not the 1%. It's not a few evil people. It is the disordered society in which we live that produces these results. It is our systemic sin that produces evil actions in people. Here's what out of order feels like. After a long day in Disney World, my Mary Grace was kind of falling apart a little bit. You know, it had been a long week, very hot, very tired. And we ended up uh, riding these sky cars to try to get closer to our hotel because we couldn't get her into the Uber because she was kind of falling apart a little bit. And so we got out and we were trying to walk to our hotel, but there's not really a good way to walk. So we're kind of walking through these paths and these sidewalks and it's hot and we're pushing in the strollers, screaming children and we're carrying backpacks and our water ran out a long time ago. And so we're working our way through the maze of hotels and we spot a drink machine off in the distance. And we walk through finding our way to this drink machine and we trudge over and I put in my money and I push the button and nothing comes out. And my money, I can't get it back. And I see there a sign I didn't notice before 
it says, out of order. Do you feel that unfairness, that loss, the disappointment, that rising sense of rage? I'm just so thirsty. As a history master's student at Tulane University, I was hired to do a research for the Episcopal Diocese of Louisiana about its history in relation to slavery. And I met with the leaders to work on this project, and they took me in to the cathedral in New Orleans, and they showed me around, and they were trying to explain to me what they wanted to know. They said, how much of our history is built on slavery? And so they showed me an old chair. It's probably kind of like this chair here, right? And... What is this chair? I probably should use the one that's in the shot. This chair right here. And, and, and they show me this old chair and they said, look, um, we want to know, is this chair built by slaves? We know it dates back before the Civil War. Was, you think it was built by slaves? So, so I go off in my like, little research world, daunted to try to figure out how one particular chair, who built it? Like, how am I going to figure that out? And a year or so later, I brought them my report. And after delving into the archives of the church, reading and traveling across to, the, to read the, the records, the old records from the early 19th century of the church and researching the census records and going deep, deep into the material, I learned that there was no part of the Diocese of Louisiana, the Episcopal Diocese of Louisiana, not a brick in their cathedral, not a chair in the chancel, not a dollar in their foundation that was not built on the back of black slavery. I also learned that there is nothing in this country that is not built on the institution of black slavery. That doesn't mean that you or your ancestors didn't work really hard. It doesn't mean that people didn't achieve and build things, that they built businesses and farms and homes in their own right. It just means that everything who built anything here, if you dig deep enough into the foundation of it, you will find that it rests on the backs of black men and women who were slaves. And our society was built on that foundation. And when you're built with that foundation, that disorder, it makes the society out of order in both ways that are carefully contrived by the society and the people in it and in also ways that are just naturally derived because of what its structure is. Structures that individuals cannot control. This is what we call systemic sin keep white people on top and black people on the bottom. And here's what that feels like. It feels out of order. It feels what life has been like for so many of us in this pandemic. Think about it. Think about the out of orderness of your life. Feel it. Right? You've lost that control that you like. I can tell you what I feel like. I've lost control. 
I can't do the things I want. I can't live in the way I want. It stresses me out. It makes me anxious all the time. That's what it feels like to be a black person in the United States. See, I'm trying to help you to feel it in these images, right? These different things that you experience because you don't experience it. Because we're on the top. We don't have to feel out of order unless it's on our news feed. And that is our privilege. That's the name of our out of orderness in this society. It's called white privilege. At the edges, it's called white supremacy. It includes a state of mind, but you don't have to have that state of mind in order to have privileges. You can individually believe and live that everyone is equal, and you can bear no ill will in your mind. It doesn't matter because society is structured in a way that gives you privilege, whether you want it or not. I don't know what it looks like for you. I'm going to confess. I'll tell you what it looks like for me. This week, for the first part of the week, it was my birthday, and I didn't want to deal with it. So I hid my head in the sand and acted like nothing was happening in our country. Because I'm white, I have that privilege. My dad taught me that if I were pulled over by the police, if I, I should put the car in park, you like that, using the, the steering wheel column thing there. You have to be of a certain age to even know what I'm doing. Get out and walk back. Get out of the car, walk back and talk to the police officer, right? Like meet him halfway. Now, I'm pretty sure that even white people who do that today are going to be met with a loudspeaker saying, Get back in your car. But later... When I was a long-haired high school kid driving a red sports car and wearing my tie-dyed shirt, I was pulled over and I got out of the car and I was told to stand away from the car and get back. And I was searched and my car was searched illegally because I guess I looked like some druggie coming back from my church retreat. But not once in that time that I remember really, really well. Not once did I fear for my life. Did I feel like I was in any danger because I'm white. I have that privilege. Because I'm white, I have the privilege of telling my son Jack, just be respectful. Don't do anything wrong or illegal, and the police will respect you back and treat you with respect. My friend, Reverend Zach Dillard, he is a son who's about my son's age. And unless things change, he'll have to say something different to his son. He'll have to teach him something different. Now, I'm not going to prove white privilege to you with statistics and stories. If you want to learn about it, if you want to show that you care, there's books and there's articles, and you can let me know, and I'll get Anna to get you a, a reading list for you. She's 
more well read about it than I am. But just ask your black friends if it's true. Ask them how America feels. My friend Martin Quick, the Reverend Martin Quick, says that out of order feels like this. I'm not good. I'm tired. I'm angry. I'm hurt. In Psalm 13, David asks God, How long? And I too ask the same question. Maybe not in my lifetime. I want my kids and their kids to have a better experience in America than me. Does it feel out of order to you? For me to be talking about this in the pulpit? If you feel that, if it feels uncomfortable and out of order, then you know what it's like to be black and to be in the same United Methodist Church with people who don't realize or won't acknowledge that being silent about white privilege is itself white privilege. Reverend Quick says again, I'm disappointed with the quietism in the church which has me wondering who is friend and who is foe. To hear my black friends and to see what other pastors and Christians have put on Facebook and, then, and that are in the news, it has made it clear to me that church in America is like the church in Corinth. Allowing the disorder of our society to form the church instead of reforming the society. But I think that here, I think that here at St. Paul United Methodist Church, that we are ready to listen to Paul's guidance. I think we are ready to put things in order, to seek harmony with our black brothers and sisters so that they know that we are friend, not foe, and to live in peace with one another. But to do these things, it takes more than being welcoming. Because we are welcoming. It takes more than a state of mind, of openness. Because we are that. Remember what Jesus said, that we must serve and elevate others. So we can begin by simply affirming in our own lives, on your feed, with your friends, Black Lives Matter. Now I'll let my mentor, Reverend Ray Kanata, explain that phrase. He says, when most say Black Lives Matter, we don't mean only Black Lives Matter. Rather, it is owning that Black Lives have relentlessly been assigned less value than others by so many and also by the system we all participate in. And that, this is deeply unjust. Now, justice 
Well, that's just another way to talk about God putting things in order. God's order. With a first or last, and the last or first. So saying black lives matter elevates those who are currently last. Sounds like a good thing to me. I know it gets misused. I know people abuse it. People abuse things in the name of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean it's wrong. From there, we must listen and learn from our black brothers and sisters. Try to understand what it's like, what it feels like. And then we must pray and work and confess and repent and vote and call our representatives and protest and march and speak out for a new order in our society that brings harmony and peace. We must follow our lynched Savior. When we are trying to put things in order together with the lynched, the poor, the abused, the oppressed, well, it is there then that Paul tells us we will find the God of love and peace will be with us. I believe it is only the grace of God, the love of Jesus Christ, and the binding together of the Holy Spirit that can change our society. It must start here in God's church. Did that sermon feel a little out of order to you? Good. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.